Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 15-Minute Fragcast. It is the condensed version of the Midnight Fragcast in which I bring in a special guest and we review a movie of their choosing. And this episode, we've got our special guest. Uh, he's a fellow filmmaker, Jesse Eastman. How you doing, Jesse? Pretty good. A little allergies today. I had my cat in my face, so I'm kind of <laughs> sniffly, but otherwise I'm pretty good. All right. So Jesse, tell us, which movie did you choose? I chose the movie Sinister. I want to say like 2012 or 2013 release. Let me give you some quick deets on Sinister. It is, uh, it is indeed 2012, running about an hour, 50 minutes. Washed up true crime writer Ellison Oswalt finds a book of Super 8 home movies in his new home that suggests the murder that he is currently researching is the work of a serial killer whose work dates back to the 1960s. IMDb rating 6.8, Metacritic score 53%, Rotten Tomatoes critic score 63%, and Rotten Tomatoes audience score 61%. How do you feel those ratings match up with your thoughts on this film? They all seem kind of low to me, to be honest, especially the audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Most people I have spoken to about the film think that it's kind of one of those underrated gems that have slipped through, which is a feeling I have. So I was particularly shocked to hear that the audience score was so low, but the critic scores check out. Generally, horror films that are not like particularly well-written or artful tend to land in like the 60, 70 range. There is definitely a bias around horror films uh, in the critic field. So those don't surprise me as much. So Jesse, why did you pick this movie? I picked it for kind of the reason I just said. I think it's really underrated. I definitely do have a few issues with it that I think would make it uh, more accessible. But overall, the sort of investigative aspect of it, I think lands pretty hard. I find it to be a pretty riveting story from beginning to end. And it has a, a really pretty deep character arc, which you don't always find in horror. It's not like Ethan Hawke's character, Ellison, just is there to be murdered at some point, which you sometimes get. He has a really strong arc about, you know, he wrote this huge novel that he kind of had his 15 minutes of fame and he's trying to kind of recapture that. And so he, he does things that are irrational, kind of continues this journey investigating these murders long past when a sane person would, you know, because he wants to have a limelight again. So I think that that's a really uh, accessible story for anyone. Hey, excellent. Let's talk a little bit about the, the quality of the film itself. It's a Blumhouse production. So he he does what he does well, and that's finding, like you said, an accessible story, finding capable directors and bringing in, let's say, a polished movie. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt about this movie for me personally. And I will say that it opens to one of the creepiest scenes any horror movie has opened to. And that's the Super 8 film running showing the latest movie. Yeah, where they're all hanging from the tree. Right. So I felt the visuals in this movie were really, really good, especially the use of the Super 8. Your thoughts? Agreed. Yeah, the Super 8s are really scary. The first time I watched this, I was still in high school. I was staying over at a buddy's house. We had his whole basement. It was pitch dark. And we were like huddled up next to each other. We were extremely frightened. And it largely because of the Super 8s. They provide, they kind of go counter to the rest of the film, which is, like you said, it's production value. It's very clean and crisp. And then you have these Super 8 clips that show these really horrific, especially with the tree one. At the beginning, they sit on it for a really long time. It's not like a glimpse of something. 
they just sit on these people like hanging and slowly dying and it really grabs you right the and, one and that you- gets me the most is the one where everybody is sleeping in the house and they're slowly being like murdered. You see like up close, someone gets their like throat slit. Right. Um, I, f- I forget what, what the name of, you know, all the little tapes have their own names, but the one where the murderer is going through the house and just killing people while they're sleeping. And each tape or each roll of film kind of described what was going to be in the film, but in kind of a, a tongue in cheek way, you know, yeah. like the, the hangings was just hanging out, yeah. you know, and pool party. The pool party. Yeah. The pool party one is also really hard to watch because it's not show offy. They're just, it's, they just put a camera on it and they're showing a really gruesome or, or hard to watch event. You know, you're watching these lawn chairs one by one get pulled in. And so as the next one is going, all you're focusing on is the fact that like, they're just sitting on that for a really long time. There's no, you know, real effects happening. It's just like, it's ingrained. It's an image. All of the images really are, are things that have stuck with me personally. Like a lot of Blumhouse productions, this was a fairly small cast for this movie itself. And it focused, I would say probably about 80, 85% on Ethan Hawke's character. I'm not a huge fan of Ethan Hawke personally, but I thought he did a fairly capable job in this movie. What, what did you think of his performance? Yeah, I think his performance is really good. I love Ethan Hawke. So that's probably partly why I like this movie so much. He's one of my favorite actors. And he's proven that he will commit to a project. If he likes the project or wants to work with whoever's involved, he will commit like he would anything else. He'll, you know, he's in the first, God, what are those movies called? The one where they're defending their house from the people. The Purge? purge. Yeah, he's in the first Purge. And he, you know, you have these actors who are known for, you know, filmy, respectable films. And yet he does things like The Purge and Sinister. And you can tell he... He's not just kind of sleepwalking through it, which I definitely respect. His performance is good. I think I like that they focus on him so much because it gives this claustrophobic feeling that kind of just adds to the overall tone. But I do think that they maybe could have pulled back and and given us a little bit more of like the wife, for instance, or the son. They kind of just flashed Mm -hmm. them here and there, which I think was a hindrance. With the emphasis of something happening to the youngest member of the family throughout because that was the theme with each murder the youngest member of the family ends up missing i would have liked to seen a lot more relationship build up between ethan hawk and his daughter i agree although i don't remember for sure that they mentioned that it's the youngest but i know that it's always one of the kids and it's also not specific to gender and all the other murders it's either a boy or a girl so i think the idea is that it's kind of they want it to seem like a toss-up of which kid it's going to be they're setting it up to be the son and yet it's the daughter. That's the impression I get. I think they could have leaned into the family stuff a little bit more for sure, especially given the ending. I think the ending has a really strong impact because it seems so surprising to me the way that it ends and it being, you know, the daughter spoilers. Mm-hmm. I was expecting the son like most people were. And that last scene when he's talking to the detective who kind of helps him out, who puts it together for him and basically tells him, it's the next place they've moved after they lived in that same house. And he basically realizes he looks at his cup and sees that he was poisoned or whatever. Like that right. whole scene, just like it hits really hard. And I think it would have hit even harder for most people if they did set up a little bit more throughout with him and the daughter, him and the son. There's a really good scene with him and the wife where they're, where they're arguing towards the end when she finds out that the murders had happened there I would have liked to see that amount of care with his relationship with the kids. As far as 
issues with the film. I think one of the main things, it bugs me every time I watch it, but I just kind of get past it, is it's so physically dark. Every scene happens during dark. You can't see what's going on half the time. But on the other hand, some scenes were so bright that it bothered me as well. When he went out to the yard because he sees uh, Mr. Boogie, or uh, what, what? what is the demon's name? It has a really weird name. Yeah, I don't, like I don't have it all Something like that. I'll, I'll just call him Mr. Boogie because that's what the kids drew in the picture. And he sees Mr. Boogie over the hedges and it's like this really crisp HD quality. And then he goes outside and he's got that, all the kids standing behind him when he's confronting the dog. And yeah. that's all crisp and bright. And, and that bothered me as well. So it was some of the extremes. If they could have fallen into... The, the median there. I think it, I think the yeah. quality of the film would have been better. I agree. I think for me, I try to focus a lot on like trying to understand what they were going for, even if they didn't get it. And I think they definitely go to great lengths to show that he's drinking more to cope with the psychotic aspects yep. and that his sleep schedule is so irregular. He's not getting sleep. So like you can definitely see that, you know, he's been up all night drinking and watching these like horrific things on repeat. And then it's morning time suddenly. And you know, when you've slept like zero hours and then you go outside in the mornings, it like hits you like, you know, you can't see it all. So I think they're kind of trying to go for that. It, it definitely doesn't land all the way. Like there's a huge scene where, you know, you first kind of really see all the ghosts or whatever of the, of all the kids. And the whole scene happens in like the dark house. And he, it, there's just a lot of, things that I think could have been replaced by stuff that progresses the story a little bit more. Like there's just long scenes of him sitting in the dark, like watching. I don't think we needed as much of that. And and when it came to watching the film, one thing that bugged me with the way this story was written is if I were in his place, I would have gone through all of those films in one setting. They spread it out over the course of like a week or two weeks of him watching these movies and trying to discover things. And to me that, that didn't, make sense it's not something somebody yeah. would normally do but once again we're in horror fiction and people don't do what people normally that's true do. yeah i don't know why they did it that way i mean I, again it's sort of what they're going for i would imagine that they're trying to emphasize that these are so hard to watch that he has to take breaks but like i i don't see that happening either and, and it would have been more interesting because we see when he goes back to his own house and rediscovers the films up in the attic then he finds the envelope of the extended versions, which was not in the original box. Mm-hmm. So if they would have just added like a film a day or something like he rediscovers a new film, yeah. then that would make more sense doing it that way. I agree. I definitely think that it it's rough around the edges in some places. Yep. Um, and there are some story elements that don't like if you really look too deep into it, you're going to find some holes in the story. But every time I watch it, I'm able to suspend those criticisms quite a bit. And I still feel pretty invested in what's happening i've probably seen it at least five times probably less than 10 over the years Uh, and i first watched it around the time it came out on vod so yeah i mean i i feel very invested in the story even though there's definitely some rough aspects of it i think for a blumhouse and for just when you're dealing with something of that you know it's not like a physical killer like a slasher it's got a kind of a supernatural element to it there are always going to be things to to kind of pick out but it's very arresting for me personally, and I've always thought it was really underrated. Now we're getting close to the point where we're going to rate this film, but I do have one other thing I, I want to point out that was kind of a disappointment for me, and that was the makeup on the kids. It was disappointing because they only made up their faces. They did nothing with their arms or the rest of their body or their clothing, and it kind of fell flat. It, 
not necessarily fell flat, but felt very disjointed. Seeing the roughness that they did to the face and the dark circles under the eyes, but then nothing done to the rest of their bodies. Yeah, I never even noticed that, really. I can't necessarily comment on that, but there is an inconsistency in sort of the way that they're trying to convey some things. Yeah. This was also a really early Blumhouse, too. This was one of their first ones, if I recall. They they started in the like early 2010s. So right, maybe so they were finding their way. Okay, so there's the beeper, which means we're at the point where we need to rate and review. With the Frightcast, we rate on the fear factor, the gore score, and the overall rating. Would you recommend it to a friend? So let's start with the fear factor on a scale um, of 1 to 10. I'm going to go 7. 7, okay. Yeah, I'm very frightened by it compared to most others. For me, I... Uh, I know I watched it when it came out. It probably had more of an effect on me then than it does now. But on today's watching, I would probably say give me about a five. That's so still pretty good, honestly. Yeah, so let's go ahead and uh, throw in the gore score. I'm going to go four on the gore score. There's definitely some frightening imagery, but they, they do a really good job of sidestepping the gore. Mm-hmm. really depends on how you classify gore, but there's some imagery in the Super 8s that's pretty hard to watch but not particularly gory. I agree with you. It's going to be low uh, for me, probably about a three. Everything is kind of insinuated. The only thing that you really see of a particular killing is, is the hanging, but there's no blood, there's no guts, there's nothing particularly extreme on it. So it's going to be, like I said, a three for me on that. So then we have the final rating and would you recommend it to a friend? I'm going to go 7.5. I would give it like about a 75% if I were grading it, you know? all around. Uh, I think the story makes up for a lot of the issues that I have. Uh, Yes, I have 7.5 and I definitely, I recommend it to everyone. For me, this is coming in low and I'm going to put it at about a 5.5. To me, it is a good starter pack film. Would I recommend it to a friend? Definitely. It's got some solid material in there. And like I said, starter pack film right there. Okay, excellent. Well, that ends our 15 minute fright cast. Jesse, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, We'll be staying on video on Facebook for a little while yet talking about it. So if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you join us on Facebook and you'll get the additional content there. So on behalf of myself and Midnight Fright Films, I want to thank you for listening to this episode and uh, look forward to having you listen to the next one.